0: 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 55, 50, 60, 65, 70, 75, 80, 90, 100, ready, not, here I come.
1: Welcome back, baseball fans, to episode 55 of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog from the fans of Effectively Wild. I am your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of JatNatsGM.com and the Baron of All Baseball Podcasts. This week, I am really excited to have two mainstays of the Banished to the Pen Stable and uh, two friends of the show. Uh, I've got Tim Livingston on the line, and I've got Darius Austin on the line. Guys, uh, say hello to the internet. Hi, internet.
0: Hey, good to be here.
1: Very cool. Thank you guys for joining me. Uh, I'm really excited. This show, uh, as most people can probably figure out, is going to be heavily discussing Ben and Sam, the Godfathers, new book. The only rule is it has to work. So we're very excited to have Tim on the line. Uh, this show might have a little bit different format than most. I think Darius and I are going to be asking you more questions this week. But uh, I'm really excited to get your perspective on uh, the Sonoma Stompers 2015 season and and your perspective of the book. So thank you for joining me, Tim. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, Darius, I'm going to start out with the first question, if you don't mind. And I, I, I'm i just going to start with, I'd love to get, Tim, your perspective of Just how this whole thing started, I I believe you were the one that sent the first email to uh, Sam and got the ball rolling. So I'd love to start really at the beginning.
2: Yeah, well, you know, Ben, Ben, and Sam both talked about how they had um, this idea actually a little bit before uh, I heard about their. I you know wanting to come out to an independent game because you know they were offered that spot in the then Northern League but then it didn't get on you know off the ground and so that didn't work out for them uh, but yeah you know that there was a podcast where Sam and Ben lamented never having gone to an uh, independent baseball game I don't know about lament but just said they hadn't been and. Uh, Sam was in the area, he saw the Pacific Association, and um, I hadn't listened to that day's episode yet, and so a friend of mine actually texted me and said, you need to listen to this episode, they're talking about you guys, and I was like, really, and I was like, okay, and um, and so I listened to it and then I emailed Sam right afterwards and he then came out and followed Theo around that night and it was Dusty Baker night, which was a really big night for us. And so we had a good crowd and it was a really good atmosphere. And then a couple weeks later on Labor Day, of uh, 2014, that great article about the Stompers was written for baseball prospectus. And then, you know, I start going back to school to do some prereqs for the master's program I'm about to start in July. And uh, I don't really feel this off, you know, off in the distance, but Sam and Ben talk with Theo and then eventually talk with the ownership at the time about wanting to come on with this book idea and join the team and run the team with a true you know front office base operations. And so that really did get the ball rolling, But I didn't know about that until February. Uh, of 2015 when I checked with Theo because the season was coming up and I didn't know how early he wanted me to get started on stuff with me returning. And he said, you know, wait for – there's going to be a big announcement soon and you have a hand in it. And I was thinking, "What? why would it, Why mm-hmm. have a mm-hmm. hand in it? like, what did I do? And then sure enough, I'm listening. I think that it was the Baltimore Orioles preview. I want to say, uh, in 2015, I think it was. And all of a sudden Ben's like, we have a special announcement and I hear my name and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, um, they're going to join the team after talking with, uh, with Theo and Eugene at the time before ownership moved over to Eric Alada and, uh, I I I was just like to the moon. I mean, obviously, I'm a big fan, but it was also a great opportunity for me to kind of see, uh, uh, you know, up close and firsthand what these guys thought of uh, of of bringing the sabermetric world into our little world with the Stompers.
1: Okay, so let let's uh, go to the next step now. Let me ask you: now it's February fifteenth or mid February, pardon me. And you said yeah. that they were announced. Now, what's the next step? I know you work with the Stompers. Is it? Take us to the next step of the story, please. So, I mean, they
2: they basically come out for the tryout. And um, for those who've read the book, it's a very interesting tryout. We you know, I I don't this story has been told many times uh, and it's uh, it's one of my favorite baseball things that's ever happened to me. It's one of the most surreal baseball things that's ever happened to me just watching this all unfold. And. That kind of kickstarts what's a very interesting way to introduce myself you know, or have themselves, you know, have them be a part of this team. It's like, oh, man, so they're just going to just straight up jack a player from everybody else at the tryout. Um, but uh, what was interesting about it was they just – they understood, like, you know, we're trying to find whatever we can to, to get ahead. They, I think Theo gave them a good idea of what to expect in the league. And from there, it just kind of blossomed – Sam would come up from time to time and talk with Theo about player stuff. And then Ben came out, uh, right before the beginning of, of the season. So mid May and right before spring training. And, you know, I, I got a chance to watch spring training a bit more that year in as opposed to the previous year and, and kind of got to see them work. And, uh, it was, it was really cool to see that, you know, we actually had scouts behind home plate watching this stuff It was, uh, you know, something that wasn't apparent in the year before. Like, we didn't have any of this type of stuff in 2014. We just basically were going on... Uh, you know once the season started previous occurrences with the teams and and what we remember from the guys we faced or if this guy was new or what have you was very low information and you know here we are with you know the, the scouts that ben and sam had recruited sitting there behind home plate trying to do pitch charts or trying to you know track pitches and i was helping them out because i obviously has to see pitches from my broadcast you know vantage point i'd have to know what a slider know what a you know split is and stuff like that and so It was just really cool. Like, it kind of felt, you know, after two years that I had spent um, with the Blue Jays, where I'd see scouts down in front during games uh, in the minor league system, it was kind of, you know, cool to, you know, be a part of that and and to kind of see that at this level because, you know, I I hadn't really thought that something like that would be a part of of our league. Uh,
1: One more question, and then I'm going to tag in Darius. Um, What was your. as a listener of effectively wild and I think we all are I think we probably have an idea of what we think Ben and Sam are like off the air but I'd love to hear what your first impressions were of both of the both of the guys and then if if you could fast forward maybe a little later towards the summer how that evolved uh how your impression evolved over the year
2: well you know I mean they're they're both friendly or both eager um you know Ben quieter than Sam I think that's that's kind of the given at this point was that you know Sam was a little bit more um you know, outgoing than Ben was, but at the same time, like they both, uh, were eager to get things going and eager to add to the process or create processes that were going to be beneficial to the team. And I think that alone was, you know, basically right from the get-go that was, uh, apparent. And so, you know, it, it was interesting to kind of see them and you, you know, for those who've read the book, you see their, um, ideologies evolve from, you know, really wanting to, be as they say tyrannical where they basically just say this is what we're doing and that's final um but also trying to you know with these relationships that they've built with these players like balance that with their desire to really implement all these ideas they have and personally what i saw was you know they did eventually as the season went on they figured out you know exactly what it was they think they needed but maybe in in their you know their minds and their speak to a better night but maybe and then they, they thought it was a bit too late quote unquote um but they eventually did they eventually found that sweet spot so to speak and i think i've heard in in a lot of interviews who asked us like if you had a second year how would it be different and i even asked this question uh at the at the book signing to sam i was like how long do you think it would take in for, for what you would see as a plan to really make this team, uh, you know, from a sabermetric standpoint, like at the forefront of the league and said, you know, in five years we would be that far ahead of everybody else. But I think even in a year, like if they were back this year, it would be, it would be way further ahead of everybody else. So um, they had to kind of figure out their footing. They had to figure out their standing, you know, and and that's a different dynamic than a lot of players at this level are used to. Um, but I saw that evolve over the over the year, where they had this inner battle between wanting to really just put their foot down, and also remember that these are human beings. Uh, and and really, that was probably the great struggle of the season for them. And you know, from the outside, it was it was really interesting because I think that while we were all thinking, of course that would work. Why wouldn't it work? We we've seen it work at the major league level. It's harder to implement at this level because those values aren't as rooted uh, at Mm -hmm. the independent level. So um, I I think that eventually they figured it out and I was really cool to kind of see them by the end of the season, you know, just realize, you know, they're part of this team just as much as anybody else is. And they have, you know, as much uh, to credit the successes that they had as anyone else in the organization.
1: Uh, Darius, I'm tagging you in brother.
0: Yeah, so to follow on uh, from what they were like on a personal level and, and how they sort of grew into the role, did they do what you expected them to do? Was there anything that they brought to the team, like on the stats side or an approach that you didn't really expect them to come in with? And did they accomplish more or less than you thought they would? Like after the initial excitement, did you think, oh, this could go really horribly badly, you know, putting a couple of stat heads in with these guys we normally have on the team? Was there, did you have a level of expectation of, of what might happen there?
2: Well, I wasn't really sure uh, exactly. I thought that they were going to be more uh, experimental, I would say. And I think that's what Ben was trying to do. Is I think you read that in the book where either was like, why aren't we trying this? Why aren't we trying this? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Um, but at the same time, like, we had that database that for me as a broadcaster became great because I can speak to these advanced stats just like, um, you know, you know, just like I would hoped I could, you know, because of what they were bringing to the table. And John did such a terrific job with that all year. Um, John Chenier, I should say, who's now writing for baseball Prospectus and is immediately become one of my favorite writers on the site. It's been really good stuff seeing him uh, on the, on the, on the site. And, you know, I think we were probably thinking the wackier stuff was going to happen and it didn't really happen until later in the season with the five man infields and the extreme shifts and, and, and things like that. Um, but at the same time like there was just a different mindset there was a different way of wanting to make this team better and it I don't know if it was really disruptive but it was you know something that I think just added to the team in in a lot of ways to the point where for me I you know really wanting like, hearing what they wanted to do And getting to see it a few times, I think, was was really fun. Like, they, they really subverted the idea of the sacrifice bunt all year. They did this really great thing where they were really faking every sacrifice bunt opportunity that they had in 2015. And then they waited till one time to actually make it happen, and it turned out to to you know be uh, you know a, a kind of a, a surprise to the other team because they had seen the fakes throughout the years, and then tried to bring the third baseman in, so they opened up the hole on the left side, and they had attacked that a couple of times to to bring in runs. So you know there are these really cool little things that of, over the course of the year you could see it's like that one to happen without. Ben and Sam having their input that would have had you know happened. And, and so I, I like the fact that they as a as a unit kind of you know while they weren't wildly experimental like they weren't doing things so crazy that's like how the hell is that happening in a professional baseball game they, they did enough stuff that kind of shook up what a lot of people thought would be possible on a baseball field and I you know for me I think that's enough
0: yeah, one of the things I wonder about, and I think uh, they actually refer to your uh, commentary in the book when this is happening, is uh, when Faye's still the manager and he's playing uh, center, and so he's not making the, the bullpen move.
2: Right, that's the move with Sean Conroy being uh, warming up in the pen and thinking, and and, and then the, he gets sat down because the game becomes tied or what have you, and then... Yeah. Uh, so yeah. I wonder
0: about how much did you already know that, that was a, there was confusion and conflict in there when you were reacting to it how much were you part of that or was that kind of all you know away from you as it were, I, were just-
2: I had my wall put up um, and sometimes they had to pull rank too because it's a really tight knit organization to the point where it's like we want to talk to him we know that you know you're, you've are you been a part but you know they, they, had, they basically wanted to have their private conversations with Faye uh, um, and what was interesting about it to me was I had this role as the um, as the eyes for the team uh, to everybody else who's listening from afar, and so I'm trying to convey this in a democratic way that doesn't you know make me come off as a homer or make me come off <laughs> as a um, you know as a favoritist to to to, you know, to one or the other, and um, that was a tough line to toe. Some nights, that night especially was a tough uh, line to toe. And um, you know, but funnily enough, you know, in the championship game, when there's a pivotal moment and, you know, there one guy they have down in the bullpen is a left-handed pitcher. They have a left-handed hitter up in Mochizuki and the right-handed pitcher already in the game lets him get on. And then they make the pitching change to the two right-handed hitters who kill left-handed pitching the most. Like, that for me, as a guy who after three months have seen like all these really like kind of, you know, down to the pitch type decisions that are made over in that dugout because of what, you know, Ben and Sam tried to implement. Like I can't be democratic at that point. Right. So, <laughs> you know, it's like I really tried to err on my own viewpoint of what should be going on. And mm-hmm. if it did come off as a little bit abrasive to my own team, you know, I did my best to kind of, you know, smooth it out. But it was interesting to see, you know, get the reactions. Like I would still get text messages from Sam or Ben or Theo during the broadcast or, you know, that listened or look at between innings and and just kind of gauge reactions. And, and you would saw that you, you saw the text back and forth that Sam and Ben would refer to when things like this happen. Uh, and it was really just an interesting situation because here we are. And essentially, you know, while they kind of feel like they're powerless because they're not the manager, they can't go out there and make the moves themselves. Um, it was an interesting sociological experiment. I'll say that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, where you're sitting back and you're like, well, it's, it's kind of a train wreck right now. There's not much I can do. And there it is, you know? So, um, there were definitely some moments for me where I just kind of shook my head and it was, it just it ended up being what it was, you know? So, uh, really weird, really weird at points. Uh, but you know, that kind of added I think to a lot of the stuff in the story and I think it made for some good
1: moments. Uh, Tim, if I can jump in, I'd love to ask you, um, uh, one of the big, I don't know, scenes in the, in the book, particularly around the hundred page mark is the uh, exhibition game at San Quentin. Yeah. Uh I would love your take on that. I thought it was one of the funnier uh chapters stories in the book and I would love to hear your take on it as uh you know kind of a third party watching Ben and Sam and watching this unfold.
2: So here's the thing, so I actually didn't go last year. Uh what happened was I joined the organization a little bit late last year because of school and so um our assistant general manager at the time didn't put me on the clearance list and I didn't get a chance to go to that game. Um I did get to go yesterday we went again this year um you know from a setting standpoint it's surreal like it's you know i didn't get a chance to see ben and sam take ab's i did hear the stories though about how they wore jeans and while they got to the parking lot and they were about to be let in they're like you can't wear those inside and so they had to go you know up to target which was 10 minutes away and, and put on pants so that they could actually get in you know um but uh, from everything I heard from secondhand, I should say, and what I read, you know, which was a great uh, setting, um, it sounded like it was a great way to bring the team together. And it's it was a great way, I think, for everybody to kind of get, uh, you know, along with each other and get to know each other. And I think some good bonds are made that day. And, um, you know, from what I heard from players last year and definitely from what I heard from players yesterday, it was, uh, it was a truly unique experience, I think, for, for those guys really um, – kind of put them in in what they thought I think going in was a little bit of an awkward spot but coming out of it I think everybody was better off uh, on this team and you know because of the fact that they realized just how lucky they were that they were in that position um I wish I could have seen Ben and Sam at the plate <laughs> I only you know I only heard um but uh, you know, it's, it's from what I went, from what I heard from everybody involved, it's uh, it was it was quite the sight. And if you haven't read my account that I put up on the Stompers website, it is up now. You can check that out at StompersBaseball.com. Uh, really, just a unique experience and uh, something I'll never forget.
1: How's Bennett BP? I gotta say, I don't see him having much
2: power. I, I only saw him one time, and that was just him and Sam on the field i think that video is up on the website i'm not sure if it made it or not um i haven't digged too deep into the videos because i actually was editing some of those videos and it took a while for me but um yeah i i think i think that they could hold their own i know it's bp so i think if you get a good swing on something it'll it'll go somewhere but um i have a feeling that you know i didn't get a chance to actually see them in beeps themselves but they would hit the ball and uh you know mess around once or twice uh last season after a game so they they could they could hit something if if they got good contact on it that's for
1: sure big hint uh bp is all about the pitcher the pitcher can uh, put it there you can hit
2: so exactly right that's true it's like if you have a pitcher that can put it where you want it you can you can really do well, some damage so. a lot of
1: people can hit yeah uh the other one i gotta ask you on a lighthearted note is did you ever see ben eat a burrito
2: <laughs> no 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 so I get to tell this story now so we heard <laughs> we heard and all of a sudden like Theo and I are flabbergasted at this like really and and, and, and that's just Ben's mind like that's the greatest thing like, that's, the, that's the single greatest indicator of his mind I guess for me personally is like that he decided he sees this thing and like every day that I've seen anybody eat a burrito in my life it's either two ways it's you know, eating it from one end or they do the fork and knife routine Ben just goes right for the middle of it. And I'm just like, what the hell? So one day, so Sean Conroy, who, you know, obviously had a lot of media appearances after the Pride Night start. Um, there was a show, the first uh, LGBTQ uh, TV show in the Bay Area. And we had him go down and do a great interview uh, with this woman named Michelle Miao. And I told him, I was like, we need to go to La Taqueria after this, which is this phenomenal um, Mexican restaurant in the mission that is – if people remember Grantland in the great burrito competition that they made, it was the winner. That was the best burrito that they thought was available in the United States. And so I said, we need to go here. And then I told Sean about the burrito. And he, you know, we get in the car, we're heading home, and he looks at me, he looks at the burrito, and then takes a bite right out of the middle of it. <laughs> and I was like, so did it work? And he's like, yeah, it's not bad. So, you know, it's. I mean, you know, I didn't get a chance to personally see it. I think if Ben does come out this summer, which we're hoping to get, you know, him and, and Sam obviously together at least one time this season because – you know, this book has blown up in a way we're very happy for both of them. And um, we might have to force him to to, to to do the whole burrito eating method just for, you know, Theo and my sake. But uh, uh,
1: you have to put that up on YouTube or Periscope oh, or something. I mean, I, I yeah.
2: would love to. I, I would love to. I mean, Ben
1: might get angry at me. Because I uh, don't know how it doesn't end up all over the wrapper rather than in your mouth. I have no earthly idea how this works. I've tried it. I can't do it. I don't know how it works. So that's the thing. It's
2: like, there's something magical about this,
1: man. I don't, I, I can't even begin to tell you. Like what was interesting
2: was when I d- doing was eating mine regularly. I felt, you know, the juices falling out of the bottom of it, but it didn't happen with Sean. And I'm sitting there going like, there's something here. There's some, there's some voodoo magic here, you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, the old, you know, and, it, and, you know, kudos to the Bans to the pen. Um, uh, the, the March Madness poll, uh, Basically, it did well in the poll. Uh, I was really pulling hard for it, and uh, I, I was I was happy to see that a lot of people were behind me on the old Lindbergh burrito method. Very nice. Uh,
1: Darius, you want to jump in again?
0: Uh, yeah, just sort of um, on, on the topic of the book blowing up, I was wondering what the reaction had been like, and maybe has it changed a bit now it's been out for a few weeks, maybe a few more people have read it. I know uh-huh. they were joking with uh, Santos about none of the players having read it, Anyway, so I don't know, maybe a lot of people in the league aren't reading it, but I was curious as to seeing what the the local reaction was.
2: Yeah, I mean, we haven't heard anything yet. Like, we're kinda still waiting on on what the reactions are gonna be from non fans of the book. Like, you know, and and Sam and Ben talked about this too. It's like it's really glad he he's happy to hear what all the the, the podcast listeners and you know, the, the people that have really you know, this thing came from the podcast, and so he really wants to hear back. But there is also something to be said about the uh the civilian quote unquote population that wasn't really a part of this, didn't really know about it, and is reading this for the first time. And luckily, you know, the Amazon reviews have been, you know, great. I mean, it's doing very well there. The Goodreads reviews are doing well, so you know, I think that people are liking it. But we really haven't heard anything from the league. We haven't heard anything from other... uh, I mean, we've we've heard some things um, mainly uh, from the Baptista thing, uh, (laughs) mainly from Vallejo. Um, but it hasn't been anything that like, wasn't taken care of right after the incident happened. So it's really weird that a year later, like there's still some, you know, kind of bad blood behind it or whatever it is. But, um, we are interested to see, you know, we might hear something from the Pacifics and for people who haven't read it, um, Michael Kirshner, who was a pitcher for the Pacifics, uh, last year and we're, you know, aware not fully aware but was aware that ben and sam was over with the stompers doing what they were doing he wrote a really cool piece um in regards to how what they were doing affected the team and what he saw kind of from the other side of it and um i I encourage people to read it because i think that that would be the the main thing we've heard so far from someone else in the league regarding the book. Uh, and I think it came out basically right after the book was officially released. So it's a couple weeks old. Uh, but, you know, if, if you can find it, it's Michael Kirshner. The last name is H.N.E.R. And search that on Google. It's pretty, you know, easy to, to find it. And uh, it's a great article, and I think I linked to it in the Facebook group a couple weeks back. So if you want to go back that far, you can find it there. So, we'll But we're kind of on it. pins and needles, like when the season starts, if there's going to be some vitriol or something else thrown our
1: way. Yeah, we'll link to it at the bottom of this, uh, this interview or this page as well. Uh, to build off that point, I'm kind of curious how the returning Stompers are – feeling or doing with the I don't know added attention or what have you I I think you said off air that Yoshi is back as the manager yeah I'm assuming a couple of players are back Sean Conroy I believe is back so how are those guys handling the I don't know notoriety if, if that's the right word
2: yeah I mean it seems like everybody's doing well that Yoshi of course lives in Japan in the off season and so he wasn't really present for anything uh you know here in the United States afterwards. And there's some people who I think would read the book. I know he's trying to get a copy of it for his father and, uh, and, and a couple other people that have heard about it out there in Japan. Um, Sean, you know, he's just Sean is he's, he's, he's as laid back as they come. You know, he, he understands that he has a, a public figure. Now it's not a huge public figure, but people know who he is. And, um, you know, he's, takes that uh, as part of everything else he does. And he's come out and he's been our best pitcher in spring training. He's going to be our opening day starter on Tuesday. Uh, you know, he's, he's everything that the book says he is. And then more, he's a great guy off the field. He's a great guy on the field, a great teammate, uh, a tremendous competitor, great stuff. And I'm interested to see, you know, you know, Baptista, I think he's pretty happy with, you know, his story kind of being front and center, uh, uh, in a lot of ways just because it, it really is one of the, the the great stories from the book if not the the greatest story and you know there's some other guys that are mentioned mark hurley's back this year and of course santos when he got signed to the brewers that was uh, a crazy day um, just from the fact that i was in the car when santos got the call uh and you know theo had you know told me to uh, let know, you know, letting Santos know he need to talk to him, and I thought it was host family stuff. I didn't assume it was, uh, you know, another team coming to talk to him. And uh, I even joked after he got off the phone because I heard him talking about his stuff and all that. I was like, "So am I going to have to take you back to the airport?" And he's like, "Actually." <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, so you know, I, I think there's some really cool stuff that's come out of this book, obviously, and a lot of the guys who were returners, or you know, in Santos's cases, until last week, uh, was a returner. I feel like there's you know there's some notoriety there and they're all taking it in stride i think it's a great thing for their lives i don't know if it's going to really affect them but uh i I feel like they are happy to have been a part of it and uh, yoshi especially you know i hear him talk about it like mentioning you know when talking to players like we had ben and sam here talking about sabermetrics and it's like they talk to him about, you know, like I've mentioned earlier, putting their, you know, best hitter in the two hole and, you know, thinking about pitching and, and, and how to, to to use everybody to to your advantage. And there are definitely some changes that are happening and I'm excited to see how they pay off. Uh, the rest of the way because it seems like we have him and Chris Matthews who's a great bench coach he was a qu- catcher that played in the higher leagues of the independent leagues it seems like they really want to to use the analytics to their advantage and we're going to give them every opportunity to do it and I think there's some lessons learned from last year that we hope will we'll pay off in 2016.
1: Actually that's a perfect segue uh, I wanted to throw it to Darius but I have to ask this question from uh one of our members advantage to the pen is just sure. uh how do the Stompers? Uh, do you guys have as many tools at your disposal as you did last season in terms of the uh, the pitch effects and some of that uh, technology?
2: Yeah, so we don't have bats or pitch effects this year. Um, but uh, Leland Bailey, who's one of the scouts, is back as an intern, and he's going to kind of head the baseball operations stuff. He's going to, you know, be doing as much pitch charting as he can. And, and Michael Conlon, who's been helping us out as well, is going to be a scout and be able to do some other things. But um, you know, we only have a couple of guys right now that might change uh, throughout the season if we need another head or, or we need someone else to, to help us out. But you know, we're going to try and have an internal database that Leland wants to do some stuff with, uh, akin to what John Cheneer did with the team last year that ben and sam helped out there you know got from him got help from him i should say uh and and really digging in for specific things uh i don't know but from like a like a scouting perspective we're going to do everything we can without bats to to you know chart pitches and and place them in the zone and, and stuff like that uh but we're 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 you know, we're not working with as many resources, obviously what, and we kind of figured out, you know, what they were able to get last year, uh, from those guys was substantial. Like significantly substantial. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have a book behind us this year, so we weren't able to get the you know the tens of thousands of dollars of equipment that pitch effects and and uh, and bats could give us. But we're gonna do everything we can without that to to kind of put together what we did last year and put you know some reasonable facsimile of it, I should say, for 2016. Uh,
1: Darius Taganian, my friend.
0: I was uh, wondering about whether there was something, uh, a moment or a, a story that you really loved during the season that you were sure was going to end up in the book and didn't make it, or maybe got got <sighs> taken out in the final edit or something like that.
1: Fantastic question! You stole my ooh, question. Ooh. Great question.
2: Man, I have to figure. I have to really think about that because a lot of what they wanted to get in the book made it. Like it was, you know, all the all the high points and and you know the lows that were talked about. Uh, we're in there. Hmm. I'm trying to think now. Well, maybe,
0: maybe conversely, was there something that you, you know, that was a surprise to you when you read it? Like you thought that you knew the story, and then you realized when you, when you read the book that there was actually a whole lot more behind it. Well, the cu- like the cuts in spring training. Like
2: I didn't know how in depth they got. Like I'd heard, you know, obviously it's a small office, so I'd heard, you know, from Theo and Sam and and Ben and and Faye to an extent, like what these were like. But to actually have the conversations, um, you know, were, were kind of odd. So I just thought of it. I just thought of the one thing that um, that uh, would have been great to have in the book uh, but did not get used. So um, I came into the office one day and Ben was in there. He, you know, he lived right around, you know, about a block and a half, two blocks away from the office. So he came in in the morning and was talking with Theo about some stuff. And I was working in the conference room because we didn't have enough office space at the time. And they were sitting down and they were just kind of talking about stuff. And it's like, I don't want to interrupt. And it's like, no, you can come in. And it's like, what are you guys doing? It's like, we're actually about to call, uh, one of the, uh, one of the other GMs in the league because he had some ideas about trades. And I wanted that entire conversation. If it was possible to make the book. Um, it was a really interesting conversation. Not going to get into specifics because obvious reasons, but it, it was one of those things that I think at this level, you think about like the money ball scene in the movie <laughs> where you know the Ricardo Rincon deal, all yes. that stuff like it <laughs> probably could have been our Ricardo Rincon moment, although no trades ever you know came of it, but it was it was one of those things where you kind of get an idea of of what it's like in this league to want to trade with someone else um when the resources are already limited and you really can't be you know you know doing straight up trades in a in a four team league when there's a good chance that there are players above us that could play in this league that you could get without a trade, right? So um, it was a really interesting conversation, and it was a really interesting aftermath of the conversation as well um, because we were kind of discussing like how a trade would work in this league and if it was worthwhile because a lot of these trades actually happen – Uh, with other leagues uh, for their players that want to come up or come down so to speak so um, I really wish that would have made the book I understand why it didn't because not much came of it but I think it was a kind of an interesting look into the um, to the the gears turning in as far as wanting to get the best talent you can and what other teams are trying to do to to get that talent
1: what is the strangest uh, trade that you've seen at that level is it a bucket of balls? Is it literally, uh, you know, a case of beer? What is the craziest? stuff? Uh... jeez, we, oh, we we were supposed to get some bats for a player one time. We still haven't seen them. <laughs> bats are expensive up. too. I mean, that's exactly. that's not cheap.
2: No, it's not. And we were supposed to get them. We still haven't seen them. And I think Theo, like, when we mentioned the player's name, uh, you know, because I don't want to mention the player's name. Right. I don't want to put the player out there. But it's like he's like still haven't gotten their bats from him still waiting on him and it's just like we just shake our heads we're just like man some teams just don't get it it was a, it was a quote-unquote a promotion it was a player that you know we 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 had heard had been wanting to go up and got there eventually but we never got anything from him and it's uh it's funny that uh we still haven't seen anything from him
1: so i mean those things can be 60 to 100 a pop those aren't you're not kidding around no, and we get a
2: good deal uh, with KB3 right now uh, who supply our bats for the team. And so, uh, you know, we thank them. And But, uh, yeah, it's like we would have loved some bats in return for <laughs> taking one of our, our best players, you know, two months in the season. So
0: yeah. You've actually just reminded me uh, – I asked Ben this on his Reddit AMA, but he didn't really know the story. Do you know how the the donut for draft pick trade came about that they referenced in the book? Because so, I'm really oh, curious yeah. as to how right. that transaction went down. So I'm pretty
2: sure that is a an urban legend. I think that was <laughs> something that was joked about, um, to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I actually remember asking Theo about this because you're not the first one to mention said uh, trade for donuts. <laughs> um, but I think it was a joke that was thrown around, although in this league – in this world, it's kind of like you don't, it's ex- like you can't not expect donuts to be as part of
0: the joke. for <laughs> well, that was track. kind of how I felt because it was so it sounds jokey, but then there's no actual indication of what was traded for the pick. If anything, there's, so I thought there's, mm-hmm.
2: there's literally nothing in this league that we could trade for that would surprise me at this point, <laughs> literally and nothing. And a nice
1: donut, you know, in the morning when you're hungry, that that's pretty valuable, that hits
2: a spot. You want to talk about a market inefficiency trading draft picks for donuts. You know, we we should have looked into that this past spring. I think the Orioles should start looking into it. Hey, Oh man. Hey-o. Hey man, they they they're in first place right now in the AL East. They're they're okay with their not having a first round draft pick for the foreseeable future. So
1: I know there are four yeah. listeners on those podcast that are just getting burned <laughs> with that joke though. So <laughs> uh I, i've got a lighthearted question i'd love to get in here it's just um did you ever or did anybody really ever check theo's uh id to really make sure that his last name is fight because that's the greatest last name of all time. i mean it's the greatest name of all time i
2: joke with theo that his last name is becoming more popular than he is as a person um and it's true like it's it's 100 percent accurate it's not a. it's not a. it's not one of those what noom plur whatever they call those things the fake names or whatever you want to say uh no that's it's a hundred percent accurate uh in his old id he had some hair too which was which was funny to see always funny to see um yeah no he's it's it's 100 percent his last name and i i can only imagine the 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 razzing he's gotten growing up about it and Probably to this day, when he introduces himself as Theo Fightmaster, he's he's still getting shocked looks. Like, yeah, that's that can't be right. That can't be right. I know. I was shocked the first time I heard his name. Oh, that was you know that was just like, is it really Fightmaster? You know. So I mean, after my I am a hundred percent guilty of it myself.
1: After my third glass of Merlot out there, I'd have been like, all right, I got to see the ID. Come on, <laughs> really. And can you describe what Theo looks like? because I just I had this like, you know, professional wrestler idea in my head because he's Theo Fightmaster. What does Theo look like?
2: No, oh, he's he's a big guy, you know. He and I are actually kind of very similar except I have hair. Um <laughs> and he uh but he's, you know, he's like 6'1", you know, three bills and uh so you he know, he could real, take care
1: of business. Okay. Yeah,
2: he, he's you know, but he's he but here's the thing. It's like I've seen him pissed off. Like I saw Theo pissed off for the first time about a week ago. And I realized then that he is really just this you know he's not soft spoken, but he doesn't really go out of his way to be gregarious. and um, man alive, like I've seen him pissed off now and I'm like, <laughs> I will never piss him off again. I really won't. and he's uh, you know he is and and and, and Ben writes about it it's he's gonna be the opposite of his of his last name. He's a really kind hearted. Uh, he really loves this team he he basically says is like if i can do this you know forever i I'd, I'd love to make this thing you know happen as long as i can he really loves being a part of this organization he loves helping guys really chase their dreams and and really make them want to be a part of something uh, but uh, it's really it's really kind of cool to see a dude like him really be so in uh, invested in this team and, and, and making everybody who comes through here, you know, be a better person because of it.
1: Uh, Darius, any other questions or any more questions?
0: Uh, I was just uh, curious about um, if you knew about Sam being offered the, the manager's gig that, you know, he talks about in the, the end of the book and uh, what you think that might've been like if he had taken it.
2: Yeah. Um, in fact, Theo offered it to him end of November, I think, uh, early December, and Sam came up, and I think they were talking about it, and he and I had lunch because we hadn't seen each other in a few months, and uh, he asked me, he was like, if if you wanted me to imagine if if I was offered the manager's job, should I take it? And I was like... I think you'd be a terrific manager. I told him just point blank. I think you would be an awesome manager. You obviously, I think, have the personality for it. I think that you have obviously the baseball mind for it. Um, but you know, it's like he talked about. You know, he's got the family to think about, and uh, you know, and he realized, and you know, I had to realize this too, and I'm you know kind of realizing it in the next three months, which is going to be a an emotional roller coaster for me. But you know, a lot of these guys are chasing a dream. And, you know, very few of them are going to get to the point where they feel their dream is realized in a lot of ways. And, you know, he talked about the two different guys, the people who realize that and the people who don't. And the people who don't normally have kind of a a level head about it. And, you know, I think that in a vacuum, if Sam were the the guy to, to lead this team, you know, this year or next year, whenever he comes and, and does it, I think he would be terrific. I really do. I think he can talk to players about it. I think he understands now after what, you know, him and Ben did last year that, you know, it's, it's, you know, good to have the information, but it's just as important to put that into practice in a way that it's uh, digestible by everybody uh, in the, in the clubhouse. And I think he could do that. I think he could do that big time. Um, but uh, you know, I I also understand because, you know, this is probably going to be my last season with the Stompers because I'd start grad school and, you know, once I'm done with that next year, there's, you know, going to be a lot of opportunities that open up for me that are going to allow me to, you know, have a better life unfortunately than what I had with baseball and uh I feel that, you know, I understand his reasoning for not coming back, but damn it, if I didn't want him to come back and be the manager because uh I love being around him. He's a great guy and and he obviously you know, has this great mind for baseball, and I think it as a manager, he really could do some things that could can uh, make any team better. To be perfectly honest with you, and uh, uh, and I understand it's kind of a, an opportunity that doesn't come around, and he realizes that. But uh, I hope I hope somewhere some you know somewhere down the line, if there's another book in him, and some team reads the end of that book and says, you know, what if we gave you a book deal and you were able to do this for a season you know may, maybe he does it and i hope he does i really do i think i think he would be a good manager and and i would i would love to see him do it one day
1: uh to build off your answer how did the team uh view ben and sam kind of at the beginning of the season and then you know at the final you know the final game how did that evolution or was there an evolution in how they were thought of
2: well you know there was a group of guys that i think um we're in it from the beginning. You know, he talked about Andrew Parker and Tommy Lyons and a couple other guys. Um, Sean Conroy wanted to see stuff. Paul Hostovic wanted to see stuff. Um, you, But, you know, Ben also talked about it as like throughout the rest of the season, it kind of seemed like guys just wanted to see highlights or, you know, things that they think would be beneficial to them in their careers as opposed to studying up for, you know, the upcoming pitcher or what have you. Um, But there were guys who understood what they were there for. and, And I think that it was kind of just a handful of guys at the start. But by the end, you know, I felt they were fully integrated in a lot of ways. And it took them, you know, maybe to last week or two of the season to to finally feel that way. Uh, but they, I think they under they didn't understand, you know, and they talk about themselves in the book. They didn't understand or didn't think it would take that long uh, to integrate themselves. Uh, and I feel that the players eventually figured it out. They they kind of accepted them by the end of the year and 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 made them a part of of the team. And uh, it was ended up being a beneficial thing. And I you know, and I'm happy that it happened that way. I really am happy that the the you know the team you know even though there was some differences and there probably still are differences that by the end of the year they knew they were there to help them win and they were there to to make sure that they were getting the best opportunities they could and it's hard to not have those guys in the clubhouse if you know that they're there there to to make the team better and i i was kind of waiting for the aha moment to happen it didn't really happen there wasn't really like a, a, a switch that clicked for them but they realized you know that they were there to to help them and And it wasn't just for highlights or what have you, but they were really trying to give them information that helped them win. And I think by the end of the year, the
1: majority, if not everybody in that clubhouse realized it. Very cool. I'm glad you mentioned Andrew Parker, by the way. I'm a huge fan of his. I watched him play in college. And, uh, what a great figure in the book. Somebody needs to hire him as, as some kind of a coach down the line. He would be tremendous.
2: Yeah. He, he is someone that I, I really enjoy greatly. He is someone that I feel, uh, he has, if he wanted to continue with baseball and, and really try and make a career out of it, like he said, as a coach or something along those lines, he really could. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's, 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 you know, and Sam talked about the two different guys, right? Parker knew, Parker knew this was going to be his last year in 2015. And, uh, but just you know, his, he,
1: his tip re- about uh, guys lobbing it in and throwing off yeah. the fastball, I, Jake Arietta does it all the time. If you ever watch it, he does it mm-hmm. all the time. And it's a great little tip.
2: Yeah. No, it's an it's an interesting kind of uh, wrinkle that uh, I didn't know. And and Sam himself has said there's a bunch of Parker stories that he wish he could have worked into the to the book somehow, just because you know they were one. Of, they were that was probably his closest friendship as far as the players go on, on the team. And Tommy was great too. And um, but uh, they they really were able to talk baseball and talk about it in a way that um, you know, made everybody you know made that the both of them kind of realize that they were. You know kindred baseball spirits i guess you would say and and parker really is he's a great guy uh we do miss him he's not just a you know a great player but he's a great guy in the clubhouse he was uh, a guy that really added a lot to the team and uh i hope to you know i know he's doing his accounting thing right now more power to him but uh, you know it, he is supposed to come out for Fourth of July this year at the very least so I'll get a chance to see him and and we'll get to catch up but uh, yeah I think I think if he wanted to he he could have a future if he really wanted to follow the baseball dream a little deeper
1: yeah he was a heck of a player I think at Towson if I remember right I watched yes. him for four yeah. years there he was a darn good baseball player and then all of a sudden I put two and two together that he's your catcher and I'm like wait a minute I know that guy <laughs> yeah so uh, he he's great miss him for sure uh Darius you have any other questions I've only got one, one uh one left.
0: Uh, I finally just really wanted to know if you thought it was going to make any difference to the league long term. Do you think other teams have paid attention to anything? I know you talked about the article uh, that the pitcher wrote already. So somebody was obviously noticing. But in a more general sense, do you think any teams will take anything that the Stompers were doing last season and apply it to their own squads this season?
2: To be perfectly honest, I don't think so. Um, I I really do think that the way that this league is set up, that everybody kind of has their own things to worry about. We're a league. You know, we try and help each other out when we can. Um, But Theo, I think, was smart to realize that there was a benefit to having uh, some type of sabermetrical tilt uh, in this league because it's helped us find players. You know, Taylor Thurber, who was talked about in the book as the golden goose, the top of the spreadsheet for pitchers in the in chapter three, when they were going after players that uh, on that great spreadsheet that Chris Long came up with. uh, And Chris has said he's going to help us out again this year, which which is great. Um, Thurber's in camp this year, and he has made the team. And he is going to be kind of Sean Conroy-esque last year. We're going to look to him to start. We're going to look to him to relieve. We look to him to be the closer. He's a rubber arm guy who goes after it and has great stuff. And um, he's really someone that we're happy to have in camp this year. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of those types of, of things that, that that kind of worked out for us. And you know, I'm I would say that the rest of the league. They 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 would probably want to do it if they had that um, mindset. But I think that, you know, the Pacifics have been set in their ways because they've won a couple titles and they, they run a pretty good business down there and in, in in their minds. And so I don't know if they're really gonna go that route. They have the same couple of guys that have been looking at talent and, and stuff like that. We haven't seen anything too different. But um, you know, I think if we came out and you know, we were 16 and 18 last year, um, and you know, that made that type of statement. Then I think the other teams would have had to do it because they would have not been able to, to, they wouldn't be able to catch up to us. But it's like I said earlier, Sam mentioned that if you give uh, a team in this league about five years, they could, you know, build something that it would take a lot for the rest of the league to try and catch up to them. And I do, and I, and I, and I think I agree, but it also takes the resources and the bandwidth that they talked about. They had issues with this year. So, um, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if there's going to be much of it. I, I I know there's not going to be pitch effects. We probably, I don't know if we're going to see scouts at other games, but uh, if we do, we'll kind of you know, pat ourselves on the back saying, good, we want the competition to be at a certain level in this league. And if you want to run a real, quote-unquote, baseball organization, we feel that if you have scouts, if you're doing stat analysis in doing it at some level, not a major league level, but doing it at some level, that it can be beneficial. And uh, we, you know, we would like to see it happen, but if the other teams in the league don't do it, then we will gladly reap the benefits of
0: such. Uh,
1: anything else, Darius?
0: Uh, no, that's that's all good. Uh, it's been really uh, great to hear Tim's insights. So uh, just, uh, yeah, thank you very much for coming on and talking about it. It's been uh, a yeah, really no big brain about the season. I just got yeah, a couple
1: no. of quick little questions for you before sure. we get out of here. Uh, how ha- is the talent level for your team gone up uh, because of the book? Or have you seen, you know, do you see more talented players come into the team in 2016 than 2015? And kind of to build up that same line, Are you seeing the organizational profile, you know, Sonoma Stompers, uh, have you seen that increase uh, since the book as well?
2: We really haven't heard anything like we read the book. We want to come play for your team. We really haven't heard that yet. It's still kind of the same, you know, song and dance as far as players hearing about us and knowing that they want to play here. But um, we hear more just about uh, from other people who have played here or played for Yoshi or played with Chris Matthews, who's our bench coach. It's like that we have a very you know good run, well run organization theo is obviously great. He's doing, and you know, we're point blank with people both about coming in that we don't have a lot of money, but we are also doing everything we can to help you move up to the next level if that's what you really want to do. So there's a lot of good, you know, things out there uh, as far as our reputation goes. I don't know if that's really book related or not, but we are kind of waiting. Uh we we've had a couple of guys kind of reach out to us on a non-baseball player level, uh, really wanting to, you know, speak to the book uh, or, or speak to people on the Stompers about the book, but that's really about it. Uh, we are kind of waiting though for you know someone who's you know reading at a on a on a bus trip somewhere or something like that, and it's uh, is like, ooh, the bit the Sonoma place would be cool to play. And then, you know, them reaching out to us and saying, you know, do you have a spot for me and saying the book is the thing that did it. So, uh, still kind of waiting on that as far as the talent level goes. Um, you know, we feel like we've gotten a couple of guys this year that uh, we wouldn't have gotten other years just from the information we had on hand last year and what we felt worked and what didn't work. Um, We have a player named Caleb Bryson who hit almost 30 homers in the Pecos League last year. And while you can't really trust Pecos League numbers, he's been our most impressive hitter outside of Daniel Baptista this year uh, in spring training. And he's the guy that we're talking about putting in the two hole, you know, and, and, and being a guy that, you know as a power hitting two hole hitter kind of making the pitcher have to work from pitch one and not saying oh I can pitch outside to a two hole hitter so I can try and keep him from you know hit and run or get a ground ball or something like that so you know, we have some talent we really like, and I think it's more of inefficiencies that other teams have as opposed to our, uh, efficiencies, you know? And, uh, I, I feel that if, as long as we keep on our nose to the grindstone on it, we're going to
1: have success with it. I think that's a perfect place to wrap right there. Uh, guys, um, Tim, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And, uh, Darius, thank you so much for helping me co-host this episode. Uh, Let's start this episode kind of the way uh, we start most and just uh, plug uh, your Twitter where they can find your work and um, everywhere in between. Let's start with Tim, please.
2: Yeah, so obviously, personally, uh, at Mr. Tim Livingston, both on Twitter and Instagram. um, You know, stay for the baseball, survive the wrestling takes. Um, And then, uh, you know, Facebook and stuff like that. But for the Stompers. It's obvious. Sonoma Stompers uh, on Twitter and on Instagram. uh, The Sonoma Stompers Facebook page as well. And also, uh, you know, online, StompersBaseball.com. The games start on Tuesday, and I start my broadcast on Tuesday. And so uh, please listen in if you want to follow the successes of, uh, of our team in 2016. And, uh, you know, if you're coming out to a game or you're going to be out in the Bay Area, please come up. I'd love to talk with you guys if, you know, if any of you are, are playing a trip out here and want to see this place this magical place that ben and sam talk of in the book so um you know we we're very happy with everything that's happened and uh it's it's been kind of surreal to to see this all unfold in the month of may and now that the season's begun we basically get to put that behind us and focus on baseball so um you know we hope that you guys will follow us again in
1: 2016 lot worse places to spend a summer than sonoma california that's true statement Uh, Darius, same thing, say goodbye please
0: Uh, Yep, so I'm on Twitter at DariusA64 you can obviously find me writing at Banish to the Pen, Uh, I also write over at Friends with Fantasy Benefits uh, focusing on fantasy stuff there Uh, and I've just been doing a few things for uh, a British based baseball site called Batflips and Nerds, um, who actually uh, they saw my uh, trip write up from when I uh, was last in the podcast, so I went over to California um, and then I wrote it up for the site so they saw that and said you know as a as a British fan co- contributing to baseball uh, writing um, we'd love to have some stuff so I've sort of written an introductory type guide for them uh, so that's just gone up recently over there at com.
1: very cool definitely uh, if you haven't read Darius's piece about coming over and seeing his first baseball games uh, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago maybe a couple months ago now that we're going but uh, definitely check them out absolutely worth we'll link it uh, somewhere in the article as well but uh Definitely worth a read and a tremendous, uh, tremendous series of articles. Thank you very much. Sure. Uh, Guys, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, Tim, good luck with the season, and uh, I hope the voice and the pipes uh, survive this long summer. And uh, Darius, thank you again for coming on and uh, helping me uh, pepper Tim with some questions.
0: Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to do it. Had a great time. Thanks, gentlemen. Really appreciate it.
1: And that was episode 55 of the Banished to the Pen podcast with my special guests, Darius Austin and Tim Livingston from the Sonoma Stompers. Uh, I really want to thank both of them for coming on this week. That was a lot of fun, getting Tim's perspective of Ben and Sam summer uh, with the Sonoma Stompers, as I said, and um, also his uh, opinions of the book. The only rule is it has to work. Uh, before we get out of here, I would like to thank everybody associated with Banish to the Pen, the writers, the editors, the technical support staff, and everybody uh, involved. Uh, we put out a really good product every week and I'm very proud of it. So I hope that you uh, bookmark it, check out what we've got going on a daily basis. And um, if you're also interested in reading, please uh, or writing for the site, please uh, let us know. So with that, episode 55 is a wrap. One reminder, be nice to your fellow listeners.